Hello, I'm Jack Badams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that goes off the beaten path, then we are the natural selection. This is How Many Geese. On a mission to Mexico. Um, last week we found a bunch of collared peccary hair, which one of the jaguars had regurgitated out. Whoa! So it's a jaguar hairball. Its skull must be huge. I was just struck by the size of its melon. Like a mafia don just lounging in its pool all day. So is your thesis then just watching monkeys fall out of trees? That's all I'm reporting. (laughs) Jack said something the other day when we were out birding. You have to get up at 4am some ungodly hour. You know, even the fucking hellspawn isn't awake at that time. (laughs) And he said, this is the best time of day. Yes. The best time to see the forest. And just made a big point about how you get up early and it's the best time. Agreed. Now. Great point. I Jack Adams. went out batting last night. Yeah. And before I left, Jack made the point as to how we've got this kind of slightly yin and yang thing going in our interests. He likes the flying creatures of the morning. I like the flying creatures of the night. So we're going to have a roundup of what I saw last night. But I think we'd start with, what have we seen in the camp this morning? We've seen an owl. Which is a creature of the? <laughs> of the night. Okay. Yeah, so. we have. Yeah, <laughs> but we've seen we've seen a, a very sweet little screech owl um, sat by the toilet block. Yeah. Yeah, liked him. What do we know about owls? Um, they... Love philosophy. Um, devout Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. Um, yeah, one of my favourite owl facts is they've got one ear higher than the other. Mm, so asynchronous. They can, so they can get fully, yeah. like, stereoscopic sound. Yeah, it's so, like, imagine if you, listener, had one ear higher than the other, then it means that as the sound comes up to your head, it will hit one ear, like, at a different rate that it will hit the other one, and it allows them to pinpoint the sound a little bit more, a little bit more clearly. So, yeah, asynchronous. Yeah ear placement and also i think i've said this on the podcast before but owls are really stupid yeah so let's get rid of any notion of the wise old owl because they're not yeah unlucky cracking pr team though yeah and they're great birds i do like the owls they're a good bird they're a top top bird but right last night yeah three key animals Ooh. you're gonna get a cryptic clue for each of them okay first one's gonna be pretty easy this was probably while i was tucked up in bed wasn't it yeah definitely yeah okay fast asleep awaiting what jack thinks is the best time of day yeah we're here to prove him wrong oh okay animal number one yes you play cricket with it and also baseball a bat a bat we saw three bats uh all fruit bats slightly different types i think there were two jamaican fruit bats one greater fruit bat nice lovely caught them yeah caught them yeah in the hand set them free some slow-mo videos we set out to see bats achieved i would say that's par for the course for a bat survey okay exactly but the next two is where it gets jazzy oh okay i'm excited cryptic clue number two yes a rabbi who likes sex parties (laughs) what a rabbi that likes sex parties what would you call him i'm i i uh is it a kinky jew <laughs> we saw a kinkajou that's awesome you we saw a kinkajou we saw a kinkajou you want to explain what a kinkajou is I don't even know where to begin <laughs> but that's, that's really cool they are a member I think of the raccoon family and they are 
They they pop up sometimes on social media um, because they're very cute. They're like a, a teddy bear that lives in the trees. They've got a long prehensile tail. Imagine kind of house cat-ish size, but with a longer tail and a chunkier, stockier body. Slightly shorter legs. Very round teddy bear face, round ears, and a long, long tongue. Lima-esque, I think. Yeah. Kinkajou. Lemas of Mexico vibe. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Big fan of him. How, one, did, you, how did you spot it? Who spotted it? Was one it just... of the students, one of the RAs, heard a rustling, a commotion, if you will, um, and started scanning the trees and then saw the eye shine. That's cool. And when we first saw the Kinkajou, he was scampering a bit, but then he just sort of stopped and chilled and was just looking at us as much as we were looking at him. Nice. But that was very, very cool. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's a good second creature of the night. Yep. Yep. The third creature of the night, a good dentist will tell you to do this. Floss. Yep. <laughs> will they tell you to floss well? Floss a lot? Flo- no, fuck off. You didn't see one of those. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. You saw an ocelot? Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay, tell me the story. So, the group was on their so way jealous. out to the site. Here we go. Best yeah. time of the day. Get fucked. I'm so <clears> jealous. The group was on their way out to the survey site yeah. and realised they'd forgotten one of the poles or, or some yoga mats for people to sit down on. So I said, you know, some might say hero. Some might. Um, that you I wouldn't. Just nip, but no, 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 I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. That i just nip back to yeah. the camp and pick up the bits that were forgotten. Did that, got the bits and was walking back. As I was walking through the forest, pitch black, no radio, on my own, yeah. I was like, this is pretty creepy. Yeah. This is really creepy. It wasn't made any less creepy than when I caught some eye shine about 10 feet away on the edge of a patch of grass. Yeah. As you come up, so it's thick forest all the way, but there's one bit where it's about a tennis court-sized bit of grass, and on the edge of that, crouched down, there was eye shine just locked onto me. Oh, shit. And my torch picked out the spotted coat next to it. (laughs) And I don't want to say I shat myself. (laughs) But there are jaguars here. (laughs) Yeah. All I could think about was the fact that jaguar tracks had been seen near camp that day. Yeah. And I was like, maybe it's some water drops. And then <laughs> as I kept walking, the eye shine followed me. Oh. It was locked onto me. Wow. And just as I walked down, this head was just turning, staring mm. at me. And I was trying to do the maths in my head. Like, those eyes look about three to four inches apart. Is that a jaguar's head's got to be bigger than that? baby jaguar <laughs> is there another one that's worse than yeah, that's, that's worse. worse than seeing an adult one exactly but going back and discussing with the scientists mm. 100% it was an ocelot amazing and I saw the edge of the spotted coat as that well that is cool that's very cool yeah yeah seen one of those on a bird survey I've seen one of those on a bird survey I was out actually early it's not as cool as your story but I was out early yesterday morning up at the ruins and there's a transect that comes off of where the ruins are and um, I was stood there at like eight o'clock. I think I'd gone up there. And it was only when I got back that I realized that I think it was later in the day, one of the, the mammal tracking team had been out and had found literally where I was stood a Jaguar footprint, which they estimated was left there at about 4 a.m. So to think that I was stood in a spot where four hours earlier a Jaguar had walked that was pretty cool that's very cool but i concede ocelot that's a great sighting yeah that's a great sighting yeah fair play
After Roddy's magical mammalian encounters, it was time for us to chat with one of the scientists whose job it was to actually monitor them. So we tracked down Josh Bowler and sat down with him to hear all about how exactly you start finding some of the Mexican jungle's most elusive creatures. We're here with a man who I think can probably get us the best views we're going to get of some of the biggest animals that are here in Calang Mall. Now, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, could you explain a little bit about what you do here? Okay, so my official job title is that I am the large mammal specialist. Mm -hmm. So in the Calamore Reserve, they have a series of large mammals. So the main ones that I look at are the ungulates or the hoofed animals, which in this case are, we've got two species of deer, mm -hmm. so brocket deer and white-tailed deer. We've got two species of peccaries, which are the collared peccary and the white-lipped peccary. We've got the baird's tapir, and we've got five species of cats, including pumas and jaguars, which are the two yeah, big ones. They're pretty good. So... My job basically involves, I go on surveys, I look for tracks in the dirt and in the leaf litter, record what I can see, um, any live animals I can see obviously is a bonus, yeah. and my job is also to go through the camera trap footage that we have, so um, leave some camera traps out at you know, water water aguadas and along trails, mm. and they're motion activated, and I go through some of the footage to see what we can find out in the rainforest. Now I heard today, Josh, from one of the students, that you found tracks of all five species of cat. Yeah, it's the first time it's happened today. Yeah, yeah um, it's the first time we've ever seen a Jaguarundi track. So Jaguarundi is a very small kind of cat. It's the smallest one we have here. Quite hard to find a lot of the time. But yeah, there's five species of cat we have here. The Jaguarundis, you have Margays, Ocelots, Pumas and Jaguars. And it's the first one that I, the first study I've done today where we found all five of them on one transect. That's such a strong quintet. Of cats. Yes, it is. Isn't I, it? Yeah, I uh, put it to you that there is probably not many places in the world where you can get a stronger quintet of cats. Yeah, than... that's a full house. <laughs> yeah. That... Now the jaguarundi. Does it look like a jaguar? Why is it? Is it spotty? Why is it? What, what does jaguarundi mean? Jaguarundi. Yeah. I don't know what it means. Yeah. They're usually quite dark or black in uh, colour okay. a lot of the time, or at least sometimes they are. Mm. Your moss, your ocelots, and your margays kind of look like small leopards. They're almost like um, house cats with leopard print, if you will. Mm. The, the margays are arboreal, so they live in trees. The ocelots are a lot bigger, stockier, live on the ground. But that, that's the main difference between them is the size between all the cats. So when you're looking for cat tracks, they all look pretty much the same. But you can tell which one it is based on how big it is most of the time. Very cool. Now, the jaguar tracks. Yeah. How close were they? How, <laughs> to how, here. To me. Yeah. To, well, imagining you were at the track. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but how close to where we're sat right now? Well, we've seen some on Transit 1, which is just um, a few hundred metres that way, so we've seen some on there. Oh, right. So they are hanging around yeah, the camp. Some, there are some less than a kilometre away from us now. Oh, that's... I like... It sends... It makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck in the best way. <laughs> yeah. But it's also quite terrifying to think, you know, when you're going for a wee. Are you able to tell how fresh the tracks are? Often, yes. We usually give an estimate about how many days old it is. Um, usually it gets a bit difficult to track at least for me after about three days mm -hmm. some of the local guides can spot tracks that are older because they're a bit more experienced in the local community yeah. but most of the ones that I find are between zero and three days old so can we just rewind quickly back to a bit about you where are you from in the UK uh, I'm from a city called Sheffield okay now in Sheffield how much big cat tracking <laughs> is there <laughs> How did you <laughs> do learn you to track <laughs> jaguars in Sheffield? Yeah. Well, like, unless you count leopard print, then uh, yeah. maybe not. But well, I I actually did this 
did this um, expedition as a student when I was 17, about so about six years ago now, where I took part in some of the, all, basically all the surveys that they do here, including the mammal transect survey. And so I had a bit of experience in it. And a lot of it was kind of just learning on the job, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Mm-hmm. The um, op- Operation Wallace here offered me to come here and work the expedition. And I kind of just learned a bit from the locals and tried nice. to learn on the job as much as possible and kind of hit the ground running. Very, very cool. Now, as well as looking for tracks, and are there any other signs you can look for? Yeah, there are. So, feces is obviously the mm. quite a major one. They don't, unfortunately, that doesn't tend to last too long in the in the tropical forest yeah. all the time. But it does happen, and you also see scratch marks. So, animals have like dug in the dirt or clawed at things. Jaguar claws in the trees sometimes. Oh. Things like that. But it's mostly footprints. Yeah. That's that's like ninety percent of the things that I find. Okay, cool. Jaguar claw marks would be a really cool thing to find. It would, yeah. Yeah. That'd have you be... seen that yet? Not yet. I know people here that have, but I've personally not seen any yet. Yeah, yeah that'd be really cool. Yeah. The the what what would the coolest sign to find be? Like if you found like a half-eaten peccary, I can get close to that. Yeah. Actually, um, last week we were on one of the transects and we found a bunch of collared peccary hair, which one of the jaguars had regurgitated out whoa onto the side of the onto the side of the path and oh we think we think that it might have killed it there because there's a bit of an indentation in the ground and yeah because obviously they can't digest the hair so it so the jaguar had um, thrown it up and just left up this pile of collared peccary hair at the side of the trail so it's a jaguar hairball <laughs> it's a jaguar, <laughs> jaguar much, vomit actually, yeah. Yeah. that is okay yeah, I that's mean, probably the coolest thing. I've that, seen. I mean, it's going to take some beating. You can, I can keep my half-eaten peccary because jaguar <laughs> vomit is is quite the sign. Maybe you just did a massive night out <laughs> in Cancun. It'd come down from Cancun. exactly, yeah. <laughs> peccary kebab on the way back. <laughs> so, as well as looking for tracks and signs, then another big part of your job is camera traps. Yes. For anyone who might not know what a camera trap is, and I'm sure most of the listeners do, you just explain the concept of a camera trap. Yeah, sure. So you put a camera trap in a place where there's a lot of, or likely to be, a lot of traffic for animals. So for here, it's the aguadas, the water holes, and along trails where we know the animals are likely to frequent. So they have a motion sensor, and every time something walks in front, it takes three pictures in quick succession in less than a second. Mm. The camera traps we have only take still images, but some will obviously do long-form video. But yeah, that's that's basically the premise, and they work in the day, and they will have infrared cameras for the night, so you can see something whatever hour of the day it happens to walk past the camera trap and we have in front of us here as we're talking we've got a laptop on the desk and on it is a very cool picture of a jaguar yes are we able to have a look at some of the camera trap pictures that we've got on yeah here? of course so the ones i've got here are from this year they're from the 4th of june so as of recording about two or three weeks ago so this is our most famous jaguar we call him mick jaguar (laughs) which just quickly (laughs) absolutely fantastic work (laughs) yeah i wish i could take credit i really do but yeah he's sort of like the the most famous one we have around he's a he's a male jaguar and he hangs out quite close to the camp which we're at now so and how how do you know that this is the same jaguar the time all the times you're seeing him Okay, so jaguar coats, the kind of spotted rosette coats that we all know, are kind of like human fingerprints or zebra stripes in that each one is individual and unique. Mm. So we know for him, we know it's him because he hangs out here, but you can also tell from the the print of the coat as well. Okay. And it's usually around sort of like the around the shoulder, around where the forelimb is. That's mm-hmm. usually the best that's usually the, the best place to look. Okay. Nice. Cool. Okay, so we've got him. Okay, I'll get a good one of the peccaries in a minute. Okay. Because there's, there's a lot to choose from, though. But that's a lot of peccaries. 
Oh my word, look at the ball. Not quite, yeah, okay, this might be it. There are so many <laughs> peccary. <laughs> there are loads. It's pretty pre sure it's the same group as well. So they just keep coming back and they just spend ages just wallowing in the mud just to get out of the heat. Maybe more. It's a lot of Jaguar food, that's what that is. Very much so, yes. There's a thermometer on these pictures as well. Yes, there is. And I can see that while all these peccary are lounging about, it is 43 degrees Celsius (laughs) just up the road. It got up to 50. Oh. Yeah, this happened to be during a heat wave. We had a bigger heat wave a couple of weeks ago. And um, Ah. yeah, everything just likes to flock to the Aguada to cool off during that time. What I love about looking at camera trap footage is you know, you're, you're getting a real insight into something that you could just not, in a lifetime of being a naturalist, you would not be able to get these glances into this world because the camera just sits there and it remotely takes pictures and you just get to see these animals going about their daily lives in the middle of the jungle. It's great. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of these animals are also very shy and if they know mm. there's people around, they're not going to either be around or behave naturally. Yeah. But they can't, but likely as not, they're not going to know that a camera trap's watching them so yeah. it's quite a nice little window into their world really how many pictures does a camera trap <gasps> there we go that's oh. the one i was looking for oh. i'll park my bullshit oh. there we go there's that's the one i was looking for yeah. okay so what we've got here we've got a picture of a, a puma clearly in i'm going to say fast motion because <laughs> it's blurred in front of the camera but you can very clearly see that hanging out of its mouth is a, a creature what's that that's a baby peccary unlucky that is yeah 6 25 p.m so not even like this is a puma that's not even just like active in at dark it's it's out and about no what you find with the with the especially the pumas but also a bit with the jaguars as well they're very adaptive so they'll change their sleeping schedule they'll even their prey depending on what's best available to them so the problem we kind of have right now is we're having a climate change crisis the iguadas are running a bit dry and everything's getting a bit hotter so there's less water around what that means is that a lot of the prey animals, like mm-hmm. your peccaries and your tapirs, but mostly mostly your peccaries are going south where there's more moisture. And as the peccaries are mostly eaten by the jaguars, the jaguars have to start changing their prey and they're moving towards eating deer and other stuff that pumas usually feed on. So oh. if you a lot of the pumas on this, they're very skinny and they're not looking well. They're not doing so hot right now. Oh. So they're having to, so a lot, some, we're thinking that hopefully the pumas will start to hopefully adapt and change what they're trying to eat because they've not been looking well recently but basically right okay so we've got i mean yeah there's so there's pumas here there's jaguars here we've seen the peccaries anything else we can just like quickly just whiz through i saw there were some birds on there there is some birds on there yeah the so, um, don't give them the satisfaction <laughs> <laughs> come on no lad this is what i want to say you can keep your jaguars show me a curacao look at that yeah so there's a few, few species of ground birds here so some of these are, are called great curacaos so we have different patterns based on the, whether they're male or female. You see a lot of these. They're pretty much everywhere around here. Yeah. Them and the turkeys, yeah. absolutely everywhere around this park. I saw my first curacaos this morning, actually. Um, and they are big. They're huge. And I saw one right in the top of a tree. And it just looked <laughs> absolutely ridiculous up there. It looked far too big to be up there. But I imagine that for your large mammals, your cats, Jaguar wouldn't say no to a curacao. If you got the more, chance, more puma, puma size, and possibly okay. ocelot as well. Ah. Jaguars usually go for peccaries on a bit meatier, okay. from what I understand. Cool, nice. A different palette. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's one animal that isn't in this particular camera trap at yeah. the moment because they like iguanas with a bit more water, and that's yeah. the tapirs. Mm. Ah, yes. 
So the tapirs are the biggest animals we actually have here. They're so big the jaguars won't even hunt them most of the time. Really? really? Yeah, jag- they'll usually go for young ones, very old ones, or very weak ones, usually. <sighs> I had assumed that, yeah, top of the jaguars list would have been a nice meaty tapir. But I had that as well. Too meaty. It's not that, that common for them to take tapirs, because tapirs are huge. They're the size of a, a small horse sometimes, like a, like, a, you know, like a pony. Yeah. It can be, they can get pretty large uh, they're easily the biggest animals we have here. There's a there's an iguana about three kilometres away from where we are, mm. where it's still in very good condition. It's not as dry, and you can often find it tapirs just kind of lounging around there, trying to cool off in the yeah. heat. I happened to see one the other day. Oh, everyone's seeing the tapirs, <laughs> except us. <laughs> I've had it in my. Down, you have to go down to the KM17 to the yeah, iguana. Yeah, I've had it in my head that the jaguars are the king of the jungle, yeah. if you will here. Turns out it's the tapir, like a, <laughs> like a mafia don, just lounging in its pool all day, calling the shots. The jaguars won't even dare touch yeah, it. No one will take a hit on, <laughs> the, on the tapir. Exactly. It's like police protection yeah. with the National Guard here. And how are the how are the tapirs doing in the forest? Are they doing okay? The tapirs are, are more endangered than the um, the peccaries. Uh, One of the main reasons is that tapir is still hunted in some parts of Mexico and in Latin America in general. Right. And they're much slower breeders than peccaries. Mm-hmm. I don't think they ha- I think their litter size is usually like one to two or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And yeah, much slower breeders, and so they're less able to replenish their population size in quite the same way. Mm. Fantastic. Well, before we wind things up, um, we do have one last question for you. Okay. Now, when we all got here the other day. Um, everyone introduced themselves uh, which is very lovely and they said one thing which they do when they're not here and you said that you fought MMA so I'm excited to ask you this question (laughs) (laughs) what's the biggest animal you reckon you could take in a fight? That's actually quite a good question and I I thought about this a little bit and I'll give you an answer about it it's also got a fact in it as well Oh, Oh, our favourite kind of answer so I'm going to say I'm going to say a manatee Oh, the reason why is because manatees if you've seen a mountain, you know they're very large, but they're also the only mammals that have never been known to exhibit any aggressive behaviour. Great fact. Yeah. Huge fact. That is meticulous answer. Yeah. Now, fold in some MMA. What's the tactic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just at least give us a move that you're throwing on that manatee. Because <laughs> you can't suplex a manatee. You can't. You can't really choke them out either. That's <laughs> no. too big. Yeah. Um, you probably have to go for the tail, get a leg lock in. A leg. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you're making a manatee tap. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much, Josh. We've ticked one off the list. One of the big five has fallen. It has. In, yeah. In, in, in quite spectacular fashion. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. We saw a fucking tapir. We saw a tapir. <laughs> like in the wild. Wallowing. Yeah, just chilling out in an iguana. And I marvel that it's wallow. To paint the picture, it was um, a big iguana. I mean, the only iguana we've actually seen with water in it. Yeah, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. But I'm sure you're getting the theme by now that this place needs these iguanas to survive. Yeah, and the they're drying up. desperately need it. Yeah. And um, there was this big iguana sort of in a clearing in the forest and um in the middle of it was just a bed tapir yep. lounging around so good news the iguanas work yeah <laughs> yeah and it was hot it was like the middle of the day it was just after lunch was it, it was maybe two three o'clock yeah I'd so say the, the heat is searing i'd say we cross 40 degrees yeah oh yeah when you're out in the sun and the tapir was out in the middle but it was at times fully submerged fully submerged blowing bubbles yeah it yeah. was really sweet um, for people who don't know what a tapir is 
They're quite a large animal. Imagine a pig the size of a small horse. Yes. <laughs> I just had to work that through in my head. But they've got a little... Um, they've got Well, they've got a big nose, but it's a little nose when you see it because you immediately compare it to an elephant's nose. So it's like a really short little trunk that it can move around. Um, and they've got massive heads, tapirs. That's the thing I was looking at. When I was looking at it with my binoculars, I was like, you've got a massive head. Like, its mm. skull must be huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I just struck by the size of its melon. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was just sat right in the middle, and it didn't seem bothered. We were able to just stand on the side of the iguana, yeah. and it was just dossing around in there. And um, yeah, occasionally it would dive under, uh, and it was just absolutely lovely. Yeah. When you said occasionally it would dive under, for a moment I flashed some kind of synchronized swimming tape here. Yeah. I mean, it would slowly sink yeah. under the water, as though just to, you know, like, wet its face again. Yeah. yeah. But there we go. The big five. Yeah. One down. All that remains. Big bat. Ferdelance. An insane, nondescript insect. And a very jazzy bird. <laughs> We're coming for you. There's one kind of mammal that the jungle is famous for. In Kalak Mull, they even have their own science team working to study them, and we wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Now apparently you have to be called Josh to look at Mexican mammals, and it was another one that we pulled into our jungle studio to unpick his passion for primates. So, Jack. Roddy. We couldn't possibly come all this way to the jungle mm -hmm. and not get up to any level of monkey business. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. So, we are joined by... Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello. Tell us a bit about who you are, what you're doing here, and what you're studying. So, my name's Josh. Hello. Um, so, I'm a dissertation student here, and so I've come from the University of Nottingham, and I'm doing my thesis on, well, the actual title, it's quite long-winded, so it's um, Comparative Behaviour in St. Patrick's Spider and Howler Monkeys, which basically means I'm comparing the behaviour of um, two species of monkeys that basically live in the same trees. I see. Basically, okay. yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. And um, yeah, so it's part of my final year project. And yeah, I think I'm quite lucky being here. I think some people are doing in research on all sorts back in Nottingham and yeah. I get to sit in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> and my like, gosh, this is so hard as I'm napping in a hammock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, my lecturers don't listen to this and I've been like, oh yeah, I worked really hard the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but you are up really early, aren't you? Yeah, so we start at 4.30. Yeah. We have to be awake before the monkeys are awake. And what I'm really annoyed about is they don't have lions on a Sunday, which would be really lovely if they did. Did, but yeah so it's 4 30 every day and we do four hours every morning um just like so we follow them wherever they go so we find them in the trees that basically they sleep in in the morning it's normally the same tree and um well the howlers and the spiders sleep in the same tree which is kind of cool so oh, it's do just they? filled the monkeys yeah mm -hmm. um so they sleep in the, well not always but there's this big thicker tree down at kilometer 27 and yeah they both sleep in that and then we pick which species we're following that day and then we just so we just follow them wherever they go 
and the howler monkeys are easy because they're kind of lazy so they just <laughs> they might move a few meters to the left and that's that's what we did this morning because i didn't sleep well so i needed to just have a quiet one <laughs> so so are you just like so depending on how well you've slept the night before yeah is that does that define whether it's a howler monkey day or a spider monkey day no so in terms of my thesis it's randomly allocated but <laughs> <laughs> normally it's probably more how lazy i'm feeling that day and then yeah but then if we follow the spider monkeys we can follow them for kilometers it just depends we just go where they go wow. which um some they normally tend to lead us down the same routes which is kind of cool because obviously middle of the jungle but you start to recognize like i've seen that tree before which yeah. is kind of cool yeah so do you just quickly want to give us a snapshot of the difference between a howler monkey and a spider monkey and what we're actually talking about here with the two species yeah so the howler monkeys are so they're actually like physically i'd say a bit larger so they're and well there's a subspecies that's endemic to this region Mm. and that they live in smaller family groups um so they live they can i think it's up to about 10 howler monkeys can live in a group but normally the ones we've been seeing here will be like five or six monkeys and then they um so they're foliovores frugivores which means that they mainly eat leaves but they're opportunistic will eat fruit um which so it depends on the fruiting levels kind of like within the forest mm-hmm. and then this so yeah so they're kind of cool but then they so because they eat a lot of foliage they digest a lot of cellulose and a lot of secondary compounds so then they have like a fermenting system within their gut which means after they eat they kind of have to lounge around for a few yeah. hours which i relate to very highly <laughs> yeah um and then um the spider monkeys so like, and there's quite a lot within this region and they are larger groups and they follow what's called fission fusion dynamics which Ooh. i don't know if you guys know what that is no i no. like in a nuclear sense but i guess they're not doing that <laughs> yeah no not yeah. quite that oh, that would be cool that, worth studying, that would I mean, be impressive yeah. Yeah. yeah um and then so basically they'll be part of a larger group and then what they do is so well back in 2020 i'd never saw it but there used to be a huge ficus tree down bigger than the one that's currently there down at kilometer 27 and that's a big fruiting tree yeah huge huge fruiting tree and it could cope with a huge group of howler monkeys um spider monkeys sorry and then they um so it could have all of them sleeping up there that blew down in 2020 so it's meant that all the groups have to split down into smaller groups Uh. and that's basically what fission fusion dynamics means so they can be one part of like a larger group across an area and they might all wake up together they might be like 20 monkeys and then they'll sort of based on resources will go well, there's a lot of fruit and trees over there so i don't know me daniel jeff and paul will go <laughs> have a look over there and have that fruit and then i don't know daniela and i don't know stephanie might go oh, we'll have a little look over here and see so it kind of reduces competition across the area because right. they can split down but that means they have quite a lot of like social like um interactions because like the whole group recognize each other and know each other yeah. um so which is kind of cute to see because i say they sound like little ponies the little squeaks they do right um, so then sometimes you'll be following a group you'll be following like three monkeys and then you can see the trees like rustling off in the distance and you're like oh god what's coming and then all of a sudden you hear like little pony whitties above you the little like howler mon- uh, spider monkeys doing these little squeaks and then all of a sudden like three spider monkeys will come bounding into the new group they all sort of say hey to each other and then some will disappear off of each other and sometimes they swap which is quite cute and they're like so they all know each oh, other and it's quite yeah, sweet yeah, yeah. and um so they're the spider monkeys are the dominant species in the area so and it the, is only those two species isn't it is it only howler yeah. and spider yeah it's only area. the two yeah. yeah and they're overlapping which is that's what st patrick means yeah. in my title um and so the spider monkeys are frugivores so they only really eat the fruit they're a bit more picky 
Um, and even within the fruit, they're quite picky. So like when you're stood under them, they'll sometimes like, just take a bite of a bit of fruit and go, nah, I don't want that. <laughs> and then chuck it down through the canopy. Yeah. So we have a thing, you can never stand underneath the monkeys because the howler monkeys, when they wake up in the morning, always have a wee. Mm. So then you just stay out there. <laughs> like, so I have been hit a few times. Oh, which is have you? Attractive. Yeah, that's why I've got so much laundry hung up over there. <laughs> and then um, the spider monkeys just chuck the fruit. So yeah sometimes you'll get hit by fruit a lot yeah. as well occupational hazard yeah of studying primates yeah, yeah literally it's quite cute you pick the fruit up it's got little bite marks in it oh. and, you're like, oh. and what's cool about your study is you know a lot of the other scientists here they're they're just sort of getting a snapshot of the wildlife through surveying you know they're seeing mm-hmm. they're coming across a few snakes but they don't get to really know them as individuals yeah whereas yeah. you're going out there and you're really getting to know Paul and Daniel yeah. and Stephen yeah, and everyone yeah. you've just mentioned. Yeah, literally. <laughs> We're a whole family. Yeah. But yeah, no, it is cool. And it's cool to see as well because I think where surveying here, even though, yeah, you come across animals and you're like, whoa, I don't know, that's such and such a racist snake. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but with us, I think it's cool because you get to know them so well in terms of like, you see so many social interactions mm. and you just see things that you wouldn't get to see just in a snapshot. So the other day we were following this group of howler monkeys and they're all feeding and we're just stood underneath them just like tallying away and um they so one of the males just went up to a female she was minding her business not doing anything having a munch on a leaf like chilling uh, the male <laughs> monkey just went up to her shoved her out of the tree it was like get out of my tree shoved her and then normally they're quite cool is when they fall they'll like grab a branch and acrobatics bless her she just fell hit the ground yeah i was like oh, she's wow. dead what do i do like, <laughs> just out of the canopy just... yeah it just fell that like hurtled down hit the ground it hit with such a thud as well wow and then um she then sat there for like 50 or lay of 15 seconds just did well i was like she's dead she sat bolt upright like looked at me like this howling monkey just staring at me i was like i'm not qualified to help you i don't know what to do i'm not a vet i don't know what to do so then um yeah and then she slowly just like sat up i assume in shock i don't know if monkeys can get shock i, maybe, I would have th- i mean maybe, that's my next thesis if they can <laughs> falling out of a canopy tree yeah, is gonna do that's it gonna you. do it yeah. And then, yeah, like, slowly climbed up this tree again and then sat really low. Again, don't blame her. Yeah, Yeah, just sat really low. So it's things like that you just wouldn't get to see. And then the other day, yesterday, we are following this group of spider monkeys um, and they were swinging along and they're incredible watching them swing through the trees. They make it look so easy. And and they made this big jump because they did sort of free fall. They'll jump out of quite a big tree. They sort of, like, free fall through and then grab another part of the canopy. And um, yeah, so it was free falling through, grabbed a branch, it just snapped, and then bless it, it fell, hit the ground, made this little squeak, it was like, as it hit the ground. Um, But then I'd fallen over that morning as well, because we go like, obviously, through like the bush, it's quite thick, so I always fall over because I'm so clumsy. Um, So then we named the monkey Josh because (laughs) it fell, and apparently I made the same noise that the monkey made when I fell as well. Yeah. So is your thesis then just watching monkeys fall out of trees? Basically, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I'm reporting. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing you mentioned earlier when you were given the names, and I, you know, was you were just pulling names out your head, but you did a load of boy names and then a load of like girl names. So do they do they split into male and female groups when they're doing their fission fusion? Yeah, they can do. So mm. the spider monkeys are quite funny with it. So with howler monkeys, there they'll be like a mixed group. They follow them up more like. I don't know, not like, I don't know, family dynamic. Yeah. So it'll be very much like the alpha male in the group and then there'll be a few females and then there'll be like a juvenile male who will eventually take over the group. Um, and it's very like white picket fence family USA vibes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the spider monkeys, 
Um, so they will mix group. And so a few weeks ago when we first started, it was a mixed group. So you'll be following them. And it was confusing as you're tallying because you're running along trying to tally the behavior. And you'll be like, is it a male? Is it a female? You through binoculars. Because you might be following three males, two females, and mm. it changes. And then at the moment, we then all of a sudden the other day saw this huge shift where now down at 27, there's a group of just females. Mm. And we think it depends on basically kind of like the ovulation of the females, at what point they are in terms of if they're pregnant, if they've given birth yet, if there's infants. Because, you know, if they're pregnant or have infants, I think the males are a bit like, cheers. Yeah. And then they bugger <laughs> off into a bachelor group. Um, which, Classic. yeah. Men which makes change. It, Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> which makes it easier for me because then I just there's like, group of females, tally, tally, tally. Like, yeah. yeah, it makes it easier to do. But yeah, it is cool how they do that. And you'll quite often see... So, like, so when they have their like dynamics within a group, it's normally the males will always stay within the group that they're sort of they're born within. Whereas the females, they'll grow up within a group, and then when they're old enough, they will leave the group. Um, so it means the males obviously have quite like a tight bond because they've known each other from birth. Yeah. So when they do things like if they compete for a female, so the spider monkeys do a thing where so the males will be in sort of like a little group, and then the female will run away, and then the males like chase after her, and <laughs> she'll be running away like no no don't catch me. That's and so then, like playground. Yeah, isn't it? literally. And then it's basically the males chase after her. They never touch her. They just run up to her, and if she stops, they'll sort of go Ooh, and like pile up on top of each other. <laughs> And then, um, so then what she'll do is then she'll run away again. The males will chase after her again. Then afterwards, she'll basically go up to whichever female and will be like, hey, like, you chased me so well. Like, <laughs> and then that would be the male that she chooses. Yeah. But then sometimes when they'll be chasing after them, the males get so excited to be like, well, we chased so well. They just forget there's a female there and all sort of like <laughs> high five each other to be like, yeah, we did like so well. Great bros. bros. <laughs> yeah. They are just teenage boys, I think. That's, what I'm, that's, the, that's the conclusion to my whole thing. My dissertation done. <laughs> They're teenage boys. <laughs> and, oh. and do you get much interaction between the two species then? Yeah, yeah. And, so, and is there any sort of dynamic, general dynamic between the two? Yeah, so that's kind of the part of the reason of my dissertation. So because they are overlapping, normally they are quite peaceful with each other. But because of the continued droughts within Calicmol as a whole, we're worried about the fruiting availability. And then we're worried about the knock-on effect that might have between the two species. Yeah. Because the spider monkeys are the more dominant species. Um, just because the howlers are kind of lazy, they're like couch potatoes. Yeah. The spider monkeys, because they're so active, have like, in terms of behavior and just population, they're dominant to them. Mm -hmm. But it means that, so sometimes they can be quite friendly to each other. So you'll see them play together, like a howler monkey will play or like a spider monkey juvenile. It's really cute. Like, oh. And then other times you see it just the reverse. So you'll see a group of spider monkeys in a tree feeding like a pregnant howler will come into the tree just be like can i get a bit of fruit and then the male of the spider monkeys will just chase her out yeah and we'll just be like get out the tree and um and then you see a lot of and within the groups as well you can see them fighting quite a lot oh. so yeah so you do so you see the both sides really you can see them playing you see them fighting just like a family I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm surprised that the that the spider monkeys are more dominant because when i the howler monkeys seem a bit more hench yeah, you know, well, they howl. But, uh, but yeah, but I'm yeah, I'm surprised that the spider monkeys, which seem a bit more like lithe and agile, and yeah. you know, a bit a bit more fragile, I guess. Yeah, well, it's um, because they look fragile, but they are not. Yeah. They are pure muscle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the thing is, because I thought before I came out here, when I was doing a lot of reading, I was thinking that with the howlers would probably be the ones to survive the fruiting availability dropping better because because they can eat leaves. They eat the leaves, right? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, well, if the 
how oh, the spider monkeys fruit is dropping they're going to be the ones that struggle but then it's kind of gone the other way and it's more that because the howler monkeys are so lazy and they stay in one tree and the spider monkeys they can eat like young leaves and they can eat flowers and because the howler monkeys will prefer to eat fruit they just sometimes can't find it mm. because the spider monkeys are more active they can whiz around all the trees around a group of howler monkeys eat all their food uh, then or go off to the next place yeah. that the howler monkeys then are sort of left without food and also because the spider monkeys are more dominant you might in terms of like resource availability if one day they just ran out yeah. spider monkeys you know might tend to get aggressive towards them but the spiders are literally just running circles around them basically yeah just getting who bring up all the food yeah literally oh. ring a fire around them yeah yeah <laughs> one thing you've mentioned a couple times is tallying and mm. when you're out there so how do you actually study when you're actually out there you find the monkeys what do you then do how do you get the data so what we'll do is so i go out with the scientist chris who just walked by actually <laughs> very quietly yeah we say. sneaking by yeah um so i go out with her and i go out with uh, one of the local guides andreas um and they're both incredible and then between the three of us we so we'll go out before the monkeys wake up and then we'll identify a group we'll identify the males in it the females in it and then we start our scan time so we look at whatever time it is um, normally it's like 5.02 or some horrible time like that. <laughs> and then um, we have categories of behaviour. So we have moving, feeding, um, social, vigilant, vocalisation. And then we'll tally whichever of every member of the group. So we'll move left to right to, wow. and of each individual to avoid um, double counts. Yep. Then we'll tally whatever behaviour they're doing. So if they're feeding, we'll mark feeding, but we'll also mark what they're feeding on. So uh, fruit, flowers, young leaves, leaves... Yeah, so then what we'll do is every 10 minutes we'll do a repeat of those scans um, and then just tally each time on what they're doing. So with the spider monkeys, they kind of give us a run for our money and they'll be off. So normally it'll be, well, normally first thing in the morning it'll be either resting or feeding. And normally about 6am they're off and it's just the whole of the tally sheet is moving, 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 moving. <laughs> normally with a smear of my sweat across here <laughs> because that means I've been moving for all that time as well. And then with the howler monkeys, it'll be feeding, 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 resting, 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 right, which is okay. a bit easier. Yeah. yeah. And then the whole basically summary of it is we'll be comparing both the activity budgets and we'll also be doing it, see if it correlates with any of the fruiting availability within the area. Wow. So we've picked, um, so I say we, Kathy, has picked 10 of the monkeys, basically favourite species of tree. And then we've taken five examples of those species and we've tagged them and we've measured the DBH, so the diameter at breast height, just to work out kind of the size of the tree. And then we visit it every couple of weeks and we look up to see the um, percentage of fruit, flowers, leaves. So we can kind of monitor the availability of it across the summer whilst we're here. Yeah. Which That's is a lot yeah. of data. That's a lot you, of data. Like, it's a the, lot your of data, data sheets must be like no, extraordinary. The, my fingers are so tired, so much typing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like to be doing yeah. that for every individual of the group every ten minutes. And yeah. There for what, like four hours? Yeah. Well, four hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. That's so it's a long time. Yeah, and then that's the thing, so every monkey it then represents a row within the data sheet. So that's a lot of rows. Yeah. Yeah. I think in two weeks we easily got I think a couple of thousand rows wow. on Excel. So yeah. My memory stick is big. <laughs> Such Humble a burst. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's all going to be written up for your dissertation then? So yeah. you're going to be crunching all those numbers? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so nice. that's, hopefully that's the plan, yeah. yeah. With the assistance of Kathy, I hope. Yeah. And that's Dr. Kathy Slater. Dr. Kathy Slater. Who's yeah, the yeah. head scientist in this 
area expedition yeah. or Paul Mexico yeah. yeah yeah fantastic so maybe just to understand a bit of how it works doing a dissertation with Opal could you just take us through the process and did you suggest the topic how did you meet Chris how did it all fit together yeah so Opal basically have a selection of dissertations that you can choose from and it'll be quite a vague project so it'll be something to do with I don't know normally each one is like a different taxa so you have one for like the herps you'll have one for the monkeys you'll have one you know each taxa that we study in this area mm-hmm. so there'll be suggested titles for each of those taxa and then you basically pick which one what you want to do and you think is best for you so that's how i chose the comparative behavior right. and then when you get onto that op will put you in touch with the scientist in the area so i got put in touch with kathy and then it's just through emailing her suggesting what she thinks would be good she sort of guides it but then you can put your own spin on it sort of take it in the area that you want to take it in um but i was quite lucky so this is the first year they've run this project which is quite cool for me i'm really excited about yeah so they um have done past studies on spider monkey behavior and they've always sort of ignored the howlers because it's howlers sleep that's all they do who needs to study that but i think it's more (laughs) kathy's concerned about the changes within the fauna of the area, the fruiting availability, how that is going to affect the interactions between the two species. So I think it's just trying to get out ahead of that change a little bit Mm. and kind of set a baseline of, okay, this is where they're at, this is what we know. So then in future years, if that changes, then we know know how it changes. Yeah, you might see increased, I don't know, conflict between the two species. You might see anything you might see less sociality within the group maybe they're too busy feeding you might see more moving in the spider monkeys because they're traveling further there's anything yeah Mm. which is it's kind of cool it's good and then each um project then obviously has scientists assigned to it and then i was lucky enough to have chris assigned which is she's cool i like her yeah (laughs) fantastic yeah and she knows so much so she's originally from peru and she worked within the amazon and she observed a lot of monkey species there and she worked with like a lot of different taxa in the amazon Mm. so even though sometimes we'll be observing monkeys she'll then be like oh look a green vine snake (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so it's quite cool so i feel like i got me a little tall guy with me (laughs) as well at the same time yeah and it's great as well because even though when we watch the howler monkeys because we're just sat quite a lot just watching them rest you're because you're so quiet in a part of the forest for so long yeah. you see so much yeah, stuff coming past like the other day we saw an anteater which is what? really cool whoa yeah. that's really that cool really, yeah i didn't this might sound a bit bimbo of me but i didn't know they were arboreal yeah the arboreal anteater yeah the tamandua is it that one maybe i that? don't know how was it sort of tan and black yeah yeah, yeah. tamandua oh, and that, that i th- we've heard so when you're on these things you hear a lot about what other people see everyone comes back and they're like oh i saw this i saw this i yeah. saw this this might be the most envious i've ever been really? of somebody's sighting yeah. i think this yeah, yeah. that is oh so yeah, casual re- flex of me i didn't, <laughs> even, I didn't <laughs> even think that was that good no but. i'd love to see one of those that's <laughs> yeah. an awesome they were, it was cool and they were so chill as well it yeah. was just because it was kind of well originally we were doing a scan of the howler monkeys and we're looking across and then obviously you'll be scanning your group but you'll also check because sometimes there might be one up in the canopy that you've not seen behind the leaves so you just always double check you've not missed any and then i saw something moving and i was like oh we've missed a howler monkey so i was really staring at it and i was like i was trying to identify if it was a male or female i couldn't really see it behind the leaves and i was like and i was staring and i was like it's got a long thing on its yeah. face I was like, that's not a howling monkey and i was like or it's that's fallen from a very big height and had a very unfortunate accident so i was looking and i was like chris chris look look and then she was like 
whoa it's an anteater and it came down from the canopy it came across these um like down the vines and it's quite agile it's quite cool it was a bit like watching a sloth move through the canopy and it came down kind of watching us for a little bit it was like oh they're weird and then just carried on and then we were kind of watching it probably for about half an hour whilst also trying to tally the monkeys at the same time it also gave us something to do between the two minute scans yeah (laughs) that's That's very cool yeah Yeah. that's very cool right i think i can sense some rain coming in yeah so i've only got one last question yeah the question do you want to ask the question yeah the question josh that we've been asking to everybody yeah is What's the biggest animal you think you could take in a fight? Oh, see, I've heard this already. I've heard the rumour. The rumour's been going yeah, around. No, the rumour's true. The rumor We've is been true. having heated debates about this have down you? at the science room. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So, <laughs> yeah. so what, have you, what have you settled well, on? Well, I don't know. It depends. There's been the argument of whether we have a weapon or not, but we apparently you're not allowed a weapon. No, no weapon. Bare-handed. See, it depends. Does it have to be within their domain, or can I take it to a different domain? You can choose the terrain. I, I want, I think, an emperor penguin off the ice I want okay. it out of its comfort zone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so whereabouts where, where are you going to take it to I don't know it, not here it's too hot I'll break a sweat I'm too lazy <laughs> I'm too howler monkey for that yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah I think Emperor Penguin maybe just in the UK it's yeah. like put it within my comfort zone let's see how it handles just, it just yeah. in a car park because, well, yeah. what is your comfort zone in the UK I don't know, London. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a prep first and then I'll have him. Then <laughs> it's going down. Yeah, I'm going to have him because they're big. Yeah. All right. An emperor penguin in a London prep. Yeah, yeah. that's a great I'll answer. have him. <laughs> Josh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. couldn't do an episode on mammals without featuring the person looking after the weirdest mammals in the forest us enter stefan hudson camp medic so the amazing thing about being on these expeditions is not only the people that you would expect to meet it's not only the researchers it's not only the scientists they're also just full of lots of interesting people also doing other things and one of them is a baker. Welcome, <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> Magnificent croissants this morning. Um, it's the medic. There's always camp medics on these expeditions. So we have pulled Stefan aside to tell us about the world of expedition medicine. Hello, Stefan. Hello, both. Thanks so much for having me. Now mm. I want a croissant. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Um, now, expedition medicine. Can you just explain a little bit more about it and about you and your story and how you came to be here sure uh expedition medicine is a lot like what it says on the tin (laughs) um all these fantastic expeditions happening all over the world usually going to quite remote places sometimes dangerous places um all the people you know aren't not not everyone has special forces um and sometimes having having someone there who can you know help everyone take care of themselves and take care of some emergencies gives people the confidence to go and do these things which I, I really like being a part of that and supporting that mm. are you about to tell us your special forces no unfortunately <laughs> not gosh 
Baker and Special Forces. <laughs> <laughs> this CV continues to I grow. Know, yeah. grow. I'll see what else it, uh, I, get, I get to add on to it by the end of this. Yeah. Your, uh, what's your day-to-day job then when you're not in the forest of Mexico? So at the moment, I'm what's called a locum doctor. Mm. Uh, that means I don't have a permanent contract anywhere and I pick up shifts as and when, uh, whenever it's needed. Um, and I did that on purpose in order to be able to do expedition medicine. Otherwise, it's really, really hard to get time. It's, you know, 18 days, 20 days off to go and do something like that. Yeah, so at the moment I'm locuming, but previous to that, um, I spent most most of my time in emergency medicine. Mm. Um, that was also on purpose in order to, to get the skills and the confidence I needed to to, to deal with things out here that I might come across. So, so it sounds like it was always a relatively long-term ambition of yours. It was. Uh, throughout university, I was really interested in wilderness medicine, expedition medicine. I was involved with the society, uh, the Wilderness Medicine Society, for mm. three or four years while I was at university. As the president of that for a little was bit, it, is that like the world, what, is that just like what like a university thing? Yeah, most univers- most medical schools will have one, uh, yeah. wilderness medicine society. Uh, sometimes also an expedition medicine society, but there usually isn't that much interest to have two separate ones. Yeah, um, and yeah, we just we just get people who are interested in applying the skills we learn inside for inside a hospital, outside, and I really liked it because you had to be really resourceful and thinking on your feet. You couldn't always fall back to textbooks and stuff you, were, you had to you sort of know what was important and and use it and use what you have around you which i really liked yeah so i studied in exeter so we used to go out to dartmoor and have days in dartmoor put some you know cover someone in fake blood and um <laughs> i made a contraption once that had a broken bone and a little spurting artery on it oh because you know it's all about the moulage yeah and, yeah. and the simulation <laughs> um and then what you just plug it up with some heather or something like that uh, put tonic on it or something yeah you know just to give people that the practice of doing that who usually might not be very um comfortable doing it yeah um we also got involved uh one day with the lifeboat service we went down to exmouth and they you know put us on the boards and taught us how to go out and rescue someone from the sea so yeah. it turned out to just be a hypothermia experience day for everyone though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you weren't called out to visit a submarine somewhere off newfoundland looking for the titanic were you no no um i'm not sure how much help i'd be in that situation unfortunately so you've done expedition medicine you've done expeditions before but um specifically with operation wallacea this is i'm guessing a little bit different because you've got all of the students and the researchers and it's quite a large team that you're dealing with here so just if you could tell us a little bit about what you've done in the past and then i guess how that translates to what you're doing here Mm. or how it might be different so my my main i'm I'm quite early on in my expedition career yeah the main one that i've done before this is um uh kilimanjaro yeah i mean that's a pretty good one it's a pretty good one it's a really common one it's quite common people to sort of cut their teeth on it how are the croissants Oh, terrible. <laughs> Although there was a birthday cake on one day, so that was fantastic. Was there? I was, yeah. Um, it, it's it's quite a challenging one, Kilimanjaro, uh, but because it happens so much, mm. doctors tend to get a, get, a, get a job on it, and that's their sort of their way into real expeditions. Yeah. Uh, and that one, you're supporting a, a group of people going up a mountain, very clear goal in mind, moving every day. The injuries that you're expecting are sort of known. Yeah. But here, it's, this is very different to Kilimanjaro. The the climate is different. The dangers are different. Um, I think the most important thing to remember is that whether it's Kilimanjaro or Mexico or wherever, even though you're the doctor, more than likely you're one of the least experienced people on the that are there. Right. Yeah. Like you guys, you guys have both been to, yeah. you know, places like this way more than than me. 
a lot of the research has been here for months, years. So they've probably seen a lot of the um a lot of the, the things that we worry about yeah. more than I have, things like snake bites and uh spider bites. So it's I think it's really important to to remember that and not be afraid to mm. not, not let your ego get in the way. Mm. I'm the doctor. I don't have to deal with this. Actually, it's, kind of, it's I'm the doctor. Please help me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> with your work, this is non-expedition now. But you meant mm. well, not non-expedition. You mentioned that Jack and I have done a number of these before. Yeah. And in each one, there's been a medic. And each medic, I've asked the same question: What's the weirdest thing you've taken out of someone? Do you know? Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't really have a story like that yet. <gasps> it's really, it's got, you know, you sort there's of take, time. How long are you here for? Yeah. Oh, oh, not here. just here. No, yeah. <laughs> you got two weeks. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. I'll send an update if, if, if anything changes. Uh, but uh, let me think. The what, weirdest thing. Can you remember while Stefan's thinking? I can remember two. Come on then. Sharply. Uh, because this... Well, the particular doctor who told me definitely one of these was a very petite lady. And mm. she said that she was called upon for her small hands in times of need. Oh gosh. One of them was a shampoo bottle up yeah. a gentleman's yeah. arsehole. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those ones she said that, like the Radox ones, which have the hook at the top that, like, you know, can swing out so you can hang it off a shower. Oh my God. And it was, the hook was closed, but of course, the reason they needed a tiny hand was to be able to get to the hook to make sure the hook didn't pop open yeah. on exit. Mm. And oh the other gosh. one. I can't remember if it was her or not, uh, but it was a doctor had had to take a USB cable out of oh, a guy's this one. penis. Urethra. Ooh. Exactly. Yeah. Tried to charge himself or <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> USB C. Yeah. These are the questions you don't get to ask members of the no. NHS. The, yeah. When you are. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, despite working in, in uh, ED for almost a year, I have yet to come across a, a good foreign body, oh. <laughs> as, we, uh, as we like to call it. Uh, sometimes you do, you know, if it's the middle of the night, you will scan, you know, what everyone's come in with yeah. and see if there's anything Any good ones. That, need, that needs anything immediate. But um, impacted. Um, Hearing aid is quite boring though now after hearing all that. Someone's left their, like, got the hearing aid stuck too deep and I had to Oh, that's nasty though, that so one. It wasn't. It, it, oh, but like, they, they'd been. No, like, they, they punched just, and the they'd like lay on it and it got pushed really deeply and they couldn't oh. grab it to pull it out. Jesus. Uh, they weren't in pain. I feel bad they sat there for two hours, for like 30 <laughs> seconds of work. <laughs> <laughs> just pulled it out and I was like, yeah, you can go. <laughs> um, so yeah, unfortunately, I don't have anything anything exciting to add to the list. But you should just start a list there, and, and, and yeah, yeah, I'll see if I send anything in at any point. For some reason, the words pepper grinder are, oh, in, no. are in my head. Yeah, and I can't remember whether that's from a medic that I asked <laughs> where it was, or, or <laughs> yeah, was where in. it was, or who it was up, or who told me. But one of those large pepper grinders. That's in my head. Italian restaurant style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Fell, out, fell on it getting out of the shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From Opwall, Naples. <laughs> <laughs> fell down all fell downstairs all the way yeah. into the kitchen. Um, I guess wanting to give some kind of answer. My my favorite thing I've pulled out of someone is a baby when I was doing C-sections. Oh wow! So that's pretty good. It's not it's not as fun as a as a shampoo bottle, but that was that was yeah. probably my a highlight of my career so far has been doing C-sections and. Yeah, putting babies out. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a yeah, that's a very nice answer. Yeah, yeah prospects of C sections in the next two weeks are looking slim. I've <laughs> got the count, so <laughs> yeah. nothing obvious so far. Yeah. <laughs> They're hiding it real well. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, on that note, then of of what is it that you would expect to mm. encounter somewhere like this? So we're in a tropical forest. What sort of things have you had to read up on or familiar, familiarize yeah. yourself with specifically for this project and looking after the people here? So the things I've I've been reading up on. Uh, because we just don't come across it in the UK ever and so it's not something that, that gets taught even is um, is things some of the mosquito-borne fevers mm. things like Zika, Dengue um, I don't think malaria is that big over here but, but you know sort of keeping a bit of refresh on malaria um, and sort of tick-borne encephalitis some, some of the, the tick-borne diseases as well mm. it, it's, they're, they're still really rare yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. If, because the the whole point of me being here is also prevention. Mm. You know, we had the the safety talk in, when I first got here. It's all about staying hydrated. Yeah, not running, looking where you're going. Yeah, making sure you're putting on your putting on the bug sk- bug spray properly, yeah. sleeping well. Yeah, ticks yeah. hate well rested. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Clean, yeah. slow. We can't stand it. <laughs> yeah, we really can't stand it. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 more about it's more about prevention yeah. more yeah. than anything. Even though you know everyone loves a good, oh, I had to you know do a thoracotomy in the middle of the jungle story. Yeah, and you'll end up on all the podcasts if you have one of those stories. <laughs> the the best expedition is one where I don't actually have to do anything. Yeah, yeah. except give out some paracetamol, and I get to you know join in everything else. Yeah. I, I should say as well the hydration one is a real because although we have been to a, you know we've been lucky enough to go to a few other tropical places before I can't remember ever sweating this much no like the humidity here just right through into the night like you're just laying in yeah. bed and it's yeah. just pouring out of you like yeah. you cannot yeah. get across to the people sat at home listening to this how much you sweat out here just from doing nothing mm. this morning I went on the habitat survey and I got so sweaty and I was sure that I would never be dry again in my life. I was like, this, this is it. I've, I've hit, I've hit a, new, a new level and uh, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life now. It's really surprising. Forever slippery. Forever, yeah. So it's really important to make sure everyone is staying really well hydrated. Um, mm. Encourage people to, to check their wee as a... Yeah, yeah. great that's, part of being a doctor. That's a big one we get told about. Champagne yeah. colour. Champagne, yeah. champagne wee is a... Treacle. <laughs> No, not oh certainly God. not coming out with the consistency of. <laughs> Do we talk about? Do we talk later? Yeah. Mm. Off mic yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, part of the thing is that everyone is a bit, you know, no, no one likes talking about wee and poo, and but I have to make a point as a doctor. I love talking about it. If, you, if your poo's not right, your wee's not right, please come talk yeah. to me. Yeah. That's what I want to know about. <laughs> That's your body telling you something's not quite right. Yeah, we just have to keep telling him to go away. We're eating. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk to you about my shit. Oh, do not do a dinner table around medics. Oh, <laughs> oh. I, oh no. Particularly medical students. No. It's awful. Also, like a medical student's search history. <laughs> my God. That's not surely okay. incognito mode right there. No, because you think, oh, I'm studying. Yeah, you know, no one will mind if I look up Fawny as Grant Gangrene on my phone or whatever. If you're listening, don't look it up. <laughs> yeah, we often tell listeners to look things up when we're talking about obscure animals. And this is do not listen. Do, do, not, do not look up that one. Don't, at don't all. do that one. What is it? It's basically a really, really, really bad infection of your genitals. There it is. Up. The G word. The G. Yeah. Don't look that up. Yeah. Um, often requires debridement. 
which, which debridement? is basically means cutting away. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's called debridement. Debridement, cutting away dead tissue. Oh, I thought it was what? specifically cutting no, no, away. No, no, it's like not, you know, it's not a little um, like debriding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like taking away the dead tissue. Yeah, okay. yeah, but hang on, the word bride is used to refer to dead tissue. <laughs> I, 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 what, what, what is happening here? <laughs> My world is spinning right now. I'm, I'm not, sure. not going to go to. A, I'm not going to look at a wedding the same you way. Brought, you brought something up now. <laughs> the process of removing dead tissue is called debridement. It's called a divorce. That's what. Yeah, it is. Well, that's what I'm. Yeah, I've got nothing else. No, I don't think so. Other than the final question. Oh, the final. Yeah, what the, was the final question? The final question oh, that God. we're asking to everybody, and I don't think we've ever asked the final question to anyone who's been medically trained. No, we've never asked anything. To anyone who's been medically trained <laughs> the, po- the podcast is breaking new ground but stefan tell me what's the biggest animal you think you could take in a fight the biggest animal yeah. i could take in a fight now i want you to think about this i don't want you to rush into it i want you no. to think about it show you're working yeah i mean what like not exclusive to this forest not exclusive to the forest so what's the out like do i just have to claim victory over it or am i talking about bloody pulp on the ground sort of thing <laughs> claim you, victory i claim think victory. yeah so it's like it's like like you know uh wrestling you know like in the olympic olympic right. wrestling or right. whatever where okay. you've got to subdue and overpower mm. you want to make the animal tap i want to make the animal tap yeah i i mean the first one that came to mind probably says a lot about me is sloth <laughs> <laughs> that's i even i think you're underselling yourself there. Well, yeah, yeah which i feel like that let, let's work up from there <laughs> a little bit so okay so you've got sloth right at the bottom there's there's a lot to go up there's a lot <laughs> yeah, to go up there's <laughs> Dogs, I reckon any dog that I could take is again pretty small. Yeah, because they they get pretty vicious pretty quickly. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you not think in a fight to the death scenario that you could out overpower an Alsatian, or do you think that's an a, Alsatian? Do you think that's above you? Oof. In a in a you know, I think Alsatians are like the police use them. Yeah. Because in a one v one, they true. subdue people. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm guessing. The, the one thing that puts humans apart from everyone else is we don't get any tools. This is all just hand to hand. I'm afraid so. You could, if you want to get creative with terrain. Okay. Mm. I mean, I, I reckon I could take an Alsatian and it might die first. <laughs> Right. I can't promise how long I'll be around. Oh, right. Okay. For, I see. So for, it's a, it's a fight to the death. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it might it might it might go down first, but I I, I reckon it'll get it'll get some some good some good bites in. Yeah. Self destruction. Um. Okay. Uh, what's another like, medium sized animal? No bears. No bears. No, they're out. Right. I couldn't hit board. a panda. <laughs> okay. I just refuse. <laughs> I could beat it probably, but I'm not going to do that. But on, a, on an ethical moral on ground. On ethical moral, you know. Yeah. Doctor kills Alsatian. That's like, oh bloody hell, legend. <laughs> Doctor kills Panda. It's like, my God, who is this man? Um, You're never getting another locum shifting. No, never again. Oh, um, that's it. I have to leave. Go be a vet. You're certainly not going on any expeditions to China. That's for sure. No, pro- absolutely You're not. Being ruled not. out of all of those. No. <laughs> all right, we say an Alsatian. Uh, you know what? Let's let's go for Alsatian. Nice. Um, hi, we're back with Dr. Stefan because I didn't realise there was some secret topic that there we were some, meant to... There was some pre-goose chat before you. When I was putting the equipment together. Yeah, okay. where Stefan looked up into the sun and sneezed. Now, first of all, I, you know, it still baffles me that sun sneezes are a thing. Why are sun sneezes a thing? 
I do you know what's going I, on? I, I don't know exactly why, but I know the theory, and it, it sounds like quite a compelling theory. Uh-huh. Some anthropologists or biologists will rip their hair out probably when they hear this. But but my understanding is that back when we lived in caves, sneezing spread diseases. Yeah. So you'd only sneeze. You'd sneeze when you came out of the cave into the outside, and mm. you're not going to spread it inside oh. inside the cave. That was a sort of the theory that I that, intriguing is my understanding. Mm. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, these days it doesn't really matter that yeah. much. So no one, no one does teaching yeah. on sneezes. Well, um, then, yeah. The, the second thing was then when I said, "Oh, do you sneeze when you look at the sun?" You said, "Yes, I also have chocolate sneezes." Yeah. So <laughs> what? <laughs> so um, with dark chocolate, I will invariably sneeze after eating it. Um. And apparently, there is a gene that makes you more likely to sneeze after eating chocolate but it's not an allergy it's not an allergy um i don't think i don't get like a reaction to yeah. it it's just a sneeze or, or two and it's got to the point where we get to we can grade how good quality the chocolate is <laughs> on whether or not i sneeze from it come off it <laughs> no i'm serious i like, and, and <laughs> um <laughs> and uh, like if if we go and we have some ice cream, I always I always am quite boring. I get chocolate ice cream because then you can like compare it to everywhere. You oh, get so you always everywhere. get chocolate ice cream. Pretty much you always, go. yeah, yeah, quite yeah, boring. Yeah. Um, but if I have it and I do and I don't sneeze, my girlfriend's like that wasn't very good, was it? <laughs> that, that the chocolate quality wasn't very good. <laughs> but then sometimes I have it and I'll just like bang sneeze and I'll be like, oh, that's that's some, that's the so good stuff. That's, that's the good shit, right? Yeah, there. yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I I no, everyone thinks I'm really weird, but I cannot stop it. I, honestly, it just happens. So I wonder if it's like down to the levels of like the fact that you can grade chocolate based on sneezing. And you can't sneeze on command either. Like you can't no, fake I mean, it. Yeah, it's exa- just, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's arguably the most. There's no vested interests. There's no like it's not a review that's been bought by money. It's just no, like yeah. a pure s- seal of approval. Yeah. And I wonder if it's down to like cocoa levels or something like that. I, maybe I need to like do a little. Oh, I need to like a blind. Taste you need to start test a bl- or something. like a like a YouTube channel or something. Like there's there's like millions <laughs> How for you to grade be made it out on there. the sneeze yeah, scale out of like ten. That, I can see that being viral. I would be a re- uh, going back to special forces thing. I'd be so bad. Like oh, there's Stefan giving away opposition again. You know because the sun came out. <laughs> because or, they're passing around the yeah the, 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 hot, the hot cocoa came around and now and now the mortars are flying in. You know. <laughs> There's so many special ops operations where they're it's just ruined pa- by this guy. A nice bit of dark chocolate around yeah. before the combating the enemy. They have, to, they have to check before you go on a mission. Like, no one's got chocolate, right, <laughs> Stefan? You've not brought any chocolate. I bet no. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Good. Yeah. 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 A little tidbit. And with that quite marvellous medical mystery, that brings us to the end of this episode of Mission Mexico Mammal Edition. As always, if you want to find out more about Operation Wallacea, whose expedition we went on, check out the link below. Thanks for supporting the podcast by leaving reviews, sharing it with friends, or even giving us a donation over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash howmanygeese. We are back next week for, and I'm very excited to tell you this, the bird episode, which, if I do say so myself, is going to be a pretty good one. We'll see you back in the Mexican jungle next Tuesday.